Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. I am really glad we're doing this episode. I have been wanting to do another one and I keep meaning to like make sure we do it. So I'm glad we're finally doing it. When we planned this, I was like, I feel like we didn't actually talk about these people originally, but then I had to go back and listen to episode three and I was like, oh dear Lord, one, audio is terrible for the first half of our season one sorry guys thank you for your patience it's terrible we have learned a lot we still don't know what we're doing but we've learned a lot we've improved a lot um but oh my gosh it was so bad what's hilarious is we recorded this episode and then you know i made that comment about the audio being terrible for our first season for the first half of our first season specifically audio was terrible because we didn't know what we were doing. We were still new. We were trying to figure things out. And then Karma decided to slap me in the face and be like, LOL, Tracy, your audio quality on the recording of these last two episodes is going to be terrible. So have fun re-recording your part. So that's what I got to do today (laughs) was to re-record my speaking parts for the podcast. So yeah, that was rude. Sorry, never going to complain about how terrible our audio quality was at the beginning of the podcast ever again. I have learned my lesson. Okay. And then I realized, oh yeah, we did. Um, We did talk about this for quite a while. It was like half of our episode we talked about this. So clearly I don't remember what we've done in the past as well as I thought I did. Tracy, we are going back to our roots with this episode okay like it was like in the first or second episode we were like well this is our third episode but we reference finding your lighthouse before yes so like that's at the literal beginning so i mean when i think of lighthouses and our podcast i really think of you in a long victorian nightgown living there and fulfilling your dreams and then we adapted it and molded it a little bit more uh, with our third episode called find your lighthouse It's really, this is really about our way of saying finding your purpose, having that fulfilling life that we want so much. Why do we follow finding your lighthouse? Because we can. Um, I mean, do you want do do you want to? For those who may have missed or or could not stand the audio for our first (laughs) episode, would you like to reiterate your lighthouse story fantasy? Yeah, my dream is to one day retire. Um, And by retire, I mean like when I'm 35, because I I don't want to wait until I'm in my 60s or 70s for this. Retiring on a rocky coast in a lighthouse where I can sing to wayfaring ships lost at sea while wearing a giant hoop skirt and also seeming like the town witch because I just do my own thing as an old single woman. So that is essentially what Find Your Lighthouse means. Love it. We realize that this dream may not seem like the ideal life for everyone. Um, However, we know that everyone has their own purpose, their own dream, and their own mission in life that they want to accomplish. And that's what we think Finding Your Own Lighthouse means. That's why we talk about it so much. Additionally, in this episode, we talked about a thing that we called human lighthouses, which we believe that they are 
shining examples for us as single adults in the church. Now, these people who are human lighthouses are different from our famous Mormons episode that we've shared. Like famous Mormons, we just pull random people and we're like, hey, did you know that this person was Mormon? No? Cool. Let's talk about it. Um, But human lighthouses, we feel, are someone who either was single for a long time and got married older or is single and has just been a champion for single people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so we we wanted to talk about these people and we want to give more opportunities to talk about these people. Um, And so in episode three, the people that we highlighted were Sherry Dew, Wendy Nelson, Barbara Thompson, and Steve Young. Um, If you want to learn more about these wonderful people, you can go back and listen to that episode. Again, I'm sorry the audio quality is not great, but, you know, we're learning, we're growing, we're doing better. Or you could do your own research and learn about them online. So today, we are focusing on our human lighthouses who we feel are a shining example for us as single adults in the church. Um, We realize that there are not that many older single adults that we have the opportunity to learn about in the church, so we wanted to take some time to highlight them today. So yeah, let's get into it. Before we start today's discussion, we wanted to remind you all that Funeral Potatoes for the Single Sword is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcasts and others in the network by subscribing today at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. Learn more today at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. All right, so... First one is Sharon Eubank. Our new queen. Our new queen of the yes. singles. So we didn't talk about her at General Conference because we knew we were saving her for this episode, but we love listening to her anytime. Um, so Sister Eubank is the first counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency, and she is also the director of Latter-day Saint Charities. Didn't know that. Super cool. Explains a lot about the awesome talks that she gives. So she has a really cool life story and honestly if she ever writes a book about it like i'm buying it because what i found about her is actually not she's written a couple of books but i think they're both works of fiction and not about her life okay well that's cool but yes sister sharon ubik if you are listening as we would love you to if you would please write your autobiography we're ready for it we need it She graduated from BYU with a history and English degree, and then she served a mission in Helsinki, Finland. She said that she struggled to learn the language, which is totally understandable because Finnish is one of the most difficult languages to learn in the world. Mm -hmm. And she said she made a deal with the Lord, like, you know, like most foreign missionaries do, (laughs) that if he helped her to learn Finnish, she would use it to serve him always. Uh Well, it worked. She learned the language, and she still speaks it today, so kudos to her for learning it. Also, that deal with the Lord was totally relatable, because I definitely did it too. After her mission, she taught English in Suzuka, Japan, and then took a leap of faith to get a job in Washington, D.C. When she got to D.C., she couldn't find a job. She just knew that she needed to be there. So she kept, like, knocking on doors of businesses and, you know, like, turning in her resume and asking for jobs, and no one was biting. So she finally stopped at this local, like, job placement agency, And 
she ended up being placed in a legislative aid role nice. for Senators Alan Simpson and Jake Garn. Don't know them, but impressive work. And this is a role that she did for four years. So that's like incredible and impressive. After that, she went back to Utah where she and a friend started a business where they made and sold educational toys and games. They ran that business for seven years, and then she ended up signing up for the LDS Church Office's temp pool, which, like, I did not know existed. She started out doing data entry as a temp and was quickly offered a full-time position working in LDS humanitarian services, assisting with international shipping, opening employment offices globally, and hiring staff on a global scale. Wow. That is a big jump from data entry to let's let's open all these all these offices around the world. That's very impressive. From there, she opted to take a break because she was killing herself in this job. Um, she says that she was burning the candle at both ends. I heard when you work for the church, that can happen. So that's up. So she decided, mm -hmm. I want to do something. I want to do something slower and be peaceful. So she moves to France. What? She just moves to France. Like, no big deal. Just moves How to France. How freaking cool is she? I want to do that. Right? What? She just moves to France. She moves to France. Oh and she God. says that she took that time to center herself and figure out what the Lord wanted her to do with her life. And nice. so she spent two years living in France. Wait, was she working or just chilling? Because, just oh my chilling, gosh. Maybe, I don't know. Either way, that's amazing. Unclear. Good for her. I know. After a short two-year break, she found herself working for the church again managing the wheelchair program for LDS Charities, and then serving as regional director of LDS Charities in the Middle East, getting called to be a member of the Relief Society General Board, and then being appointed to director of LDS Charities Worldwide in 2011, which she still is today oh, wow. while in the Relief Society General <laughs> Presidency. Yeah. Jared, we're not saying that everyone should be doing this kind of thing because it is a lot. What's impressive is that she's like still game and clearly to me it seems like she's thriving in her position from from her talk in general conference the other week like she seems to be doing an amazing job in most aspects of her life right now and that's amazing so aside from how cool her professional life has been and how much she's gotten to travel and experience like different cultures and different environments, it's also important for us to highlight the fact that Sister Eubank is S-I-N-G-L-E single. Like we are not sure if she was married at any point in her history. It's not mentioned anywhere online that I could find at least. However, we do know that for at least the last 20 years, she has been single. Um, not only is she a great example to single sisters in the church, but she spends a lot of her ministry in the Relief Society General Presidency talking about being single and how being single is not a curse, it's not an incurable disease, and it's not a reason to stop yourself from living your life to the absolute fullest, which we need to hear more often in the church. A few examples of this are the recent 31 and older single adult fireside from June 2021, an incredible article from the March 2020 Liahona called A Letter to a Single Sister, and a fireside from 2019 where she visited Nakano, Japan with Elder Takashi Wada from the Asia North Area Presidency. We won't go into depth about everything that she has shared in each of these um, or the many opportunities that she's had to speak about being a single adult in the church. However, we will share one quote that we love. So this comes from her 
a letter to a single sister article where she says, quote, my own experiences have sometimes brought me pain and concentrated loneliness. It's easy to blame that pain on the category of my life circumstances, but I've come to see that everyone is dealing with pain. My sister is divorced. My other sister can't conceive. A 38-year-old is lost to cancer. Kids cause heartache. Terrible accidents happen. Spouses leave the church. Health breaks down. It's the state of mortality. The best we can do is try to help each other bear each other's burdens. I can be vulnerable and share my reality. I can find empathy when other people share theirs. Somehow knowing that we're all carrying various loads of pain makes me less special and it's easier to bear up. Of course, when the pain is unbearable, as it sometimes gets, we can turn to Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus Christ. They know this burden. They have promised to give us respite and rest, and I testify that they do." End quote. I just love that because she really does speak from the heart like this every time she speaks. Essentially, we love Sister Eubank. Like, every time she speaks, we perk up a little in conference or we tune in to those firesides because she truly just gets it. And, like, we otherwise probably wouldn't tune into those firesides. Um, She truly is an amazing person. And if we ever got the chance to meet her, we would probably just die because she's just that incredible. She's wonderful. She is amazing. All right, so continuing on, I wanted to highlight Tom Christofferson. Yes, he is the brother to D. Todd Christofferson, who is a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Um, But that isn't so much why we know his name. It's not just because he is related to someone, to a church authority. He is also happens to be a public speaker who I actually listened to in, in real life and everything when he shared his story at Time Out for Women back in 2018, 2019-ish. I don't remember the year. I just know he was there. Um, I never heard his story before, and I was very excited to hear what he had to share. So Desert Book um, has a little bio about him that says, Tom Christofferson has spent his career in investment management and asset servicing living in the United States and Europe. He has served as a director on corporate and nonprofit boards and was the founding board member of N-Circle, a group providing resources to support LGBTQ individuals and their families in Provo, Utah. Tom is an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and serves as a gospel doctrine teacher in his Salt Lake City ward. So that's where we're starting off with. Additionally, Tom Christopherson has written at least four books, the most popular and well-known book being that we may be one, a gay Mormon's perspective on faith and family. For your awareness, we haven't read this book. We would like to think it's good. It should definitely offer some great insights. I wanted to highlight him um, for a few reasons that I'll be explaining. And his story has been covered inside and outside of the church because he is public publicly out as gay. And he has been a voice within church-related media. Because yes, he does have a connection to someone high up in the church and because of because of his identity. Let's rewind a little bit. Leading saints did talk about him. They said that Tom grew up in the church as a member, served a mission, and married in the temple. His short marriage ended and he came out as gay and lived that lifestyle for many years. All this life, Tom knew that he was gay. It made his life pretty hard and he struggled about how to accept himself, especially to have his family accept him. As we know... The LDS members are not really well known for being accepting of people who are different, especially those within the LGBTQ plus community. 
and it, and it would have been a lot harder during his childhood. So he struggled for many years, and he eventually did end up divorcing. Then he left the church, and he like completely went away. And so he was with another partner for nineteen years. So he was living, he was living his life, he was doing his thing. Um, and even still through that, though, he still has strong ties to the church, not just familial, but spiritually. And so down the road, he eventually decided that he wanted to return to church. Um, he tried to bring his partner with him, and he was hopeful that they could have a relationship there as well. And so that went on for um, on and off for five years. And eventually his partner decided to leave. They weren't happy with the way their life was going. Um, so they ended up splitting up. And so during that time, they'd been on the East Coast, and then he was then later rebaptized. Um, so now he resides in Salt Lake and attends church regularly. There was a very helpful um, article that I read from a KUTV article by Daniel Woodruff uh, back when he was first promoting his book. They have a little bit more clarity and some quotes that I wanted to be able to share. So they said that Tom Christopherson grew up Mormon but in the 1980s came out as gay and asked to be excommunicated. He writes, it was a very hard blow to his parents, but that they and his four brothers grew to accept his new life. He said they were incredible in their ability to love and include and just make sure that I always felt like I had a place, said Christopherson, and my partner the same. Christopherson lived outside the church for decades, eventually settling in Connecticut. In 2007, he started going back to church. He said that it became really important to me to feel like I was connected to Jesus Christ. He said the local ward welcomed him and his partner, but eventually as things progressed, Christofferson went one way while his partner did go another. So in the fall of 2014, Christofferson was rebaptized. He said that all my brothers and their wives were able to be there at the time. It was a real celebration, I think, of a journey that had reached a new point. But Christopherson has taken criticism, as the KUTV article states, with some even saying that he's betrayed the LGBT community. I hope I haven't sold out the gay community, Christopherson said. What I'm trying to say is, here's my experience. This is the path that I have felt led to follow, and I'm grateful for it. The article continues saying, but his membership in the church hasn't been completely conflict-free. In November 2015, Mormon leaders announced a new policy that labels members in same-sex marriages as apostates. It also forbids their children from receiving a naming blessing or being baptized until age 18. Christofferson struggled with the policy and spoke about it. His own brother, the apostle, was the public face of it as he defended the change in a video question and answer released by the church. Tom Christofferson remembers getting a call at that time from his brother, as recorded in his book. Elder Christofferson then said, if you feel the need to distance yourself from me, I will understand. Then Tom says that he responded, you have never distanced yourself from me, and I'm sure it hasn't always been comfortable for you. Of course, I'm not going to back away from you in any way. So he's definitely been a very interesting um, public figure that I want to highlight that I don't feel like we hear about too often, but he's led a very interesting life and he continues to play a very interesting role in many ways. So today he is a writer, he is a public speaker, and as far as I understand, he is currently single. So the KUTV article did end with this note saying, as for his life ahead, Tom Christofferson said he knows it's one he'll likely spend single, but he believes day by day he can make it work. Other people will choose a different way and that's great, Christofferson said. 
I'm happy to support them and what they think is best for their lives as well. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we did highlight him. He's got a very interesting story. I do really want to read his book and I want to see all that he has to say and to share. We don't highlight Tom Christopherson to say that everyone in the LGBTQ plus community should be single and celibate members of the church. We hope we've made that clear in the past. We want everyone to be living the life that is best for them with the healthiest relationships possible, both on this earth and with our heavenly parents. So from my basic understanding and what I've seen is that Tom Christopherson kind of speaks more to the older generation, to his own generation, in educating people on how to be more loving and more understanding, to be more accepting of people that are different. So while from what I've seen, he's not as quite an advocator of change like our younger generations tend to be, like our generation and generally Generation Z, we've been pushing more for things to change. Um, but I really do believe that with Tom Christopherson's public figure there, by him, like he's got, he has to have an impact on his brother, which affects the all of the quorum of the twelve apostles. So just by being there, just by sharing his story, he is helping us move a step forward, and I think that's very important to highlight. I don't know, I just, I just really want to make sure that we were able to to share his story because any step that we can make towards positive progress for other people is very important. I can't even imagine how hard it had to have been to reconcile the November 2015 policy change with your brother defending it. Yes. I cannot even imagine how difficult that must have been. And then to also have said brother turn and say, like, if you need to distance yourself from me, I totally get it. The amount of compassion that they each have for one another, like, you know that Elder Christofferson was just doing his job. Like, he's he was probably assigned to do that by the Quorum of the Twelve and, like, the First Presidency. Like, he probably had to do that. I want to think it was, yeah, just a job. But the fact that he was able to quickly reach out to his brother and just be like, if you need to distance yourself from me, like, I get it. Like, I will not fault you for it. I will not feel any type of way about it. And then to have Tom be so, I feel like the only way to say this is like to be so Christ-like and so faithful to be able to say like, I'm not going to turn my back on you because you've never turned your back on me. Like, that is so huge. I want to learn more about Tom Christopherson. Like, I want to learn so much about him now. Yeah, I, I've i just always, like, kind of thought about him on and off. And I'm like, what is he doing? Where is he? And why is no one, like, talking about him? I, I was like, okay, this is a perfect opportunity to bring him in. Because like I said, I don't know, like, everything he preaches. I know, you know, there's occasionally, like, LGBTQ members who do kind of preach, like, yes, things will make more sense in the next life. And we shouldn't do this. And we shouldn't kind of be ourselves kind of thing. And I'm not going to, like, push on that or anything. So I, I don't know everything that he has to share or anything. But the fact that he's doing something is so big. And I think it's kind of like, I feel like it's almost gone under the radar for some. Or for the majority, really. And I just think this is a really important story that people are able to hear and to understand. I think he would have probably been one of the first steps of having like LGBTQ related material inside like a desert book kind of thing. That's really important. Thank you for bringing him up. I really liked that. I like learning about him. I couldn't find like more information. I, I just really need to read his book. So but I'm glad we had something. So another fun one that I wanted to do um, ever since I started getting <laughs> entrenched in the life here in Utah. Um, 
But I knew a little bit about her beforehand, actually. Okay, so this is pretty great. So our next person that we want to highlight is Rosemary Card. She is in Utah. She is awesome. She is technically no longer single as of like a couple of weeks ago. She got married. So good on her. She is a strong, business-minded, and spiritual woman who is thriving and supporting others. I haven't tried to snoop like too deep into her social, so we're not going to like go back to her youth or anything. We're just going to talk about more about like what she's been doing for the last couple of years and what makes her so awesome and why you should probably follow her on Instagram if you already aren't. So fun fact, she was doing a bit of a podcast. That is how I found her. I was looking for more LDS or more positive and like feminist related podcasts and everything a while ago. And that's when I came upon her Q more. So it's Q period M-O-R-E, Q more. Okay, so she started her podcast back in like 2018, I think 2017 around there. 2018, let's say 2018. And so there's only like 20 episodes. So it's a very infrequent one. So her podcast Q more has... 10 to 20 episodes, but they're so such quality oriented discussions. I've listened to several of them on repeat. So when you're done with this episode, please go check out her material. It is, it is rich. Um, So, but back to her. So that's how I found her. Then actually my sister pointed out her profile on Instagram and I was like, yeah, I listened to her podcast because Rosemary is the founder and CEO of QNOR, N-O-O-R, a company that she has built up over the last six years. It's pretty recent, but she is doing so much. She is going strong with it. And so she actually started it a few years after getting her temple dress, going through the temple for the first time. And she wished that she'd had something that was more her, more comfortable, Um, Just in a different style, because the church doesn't really give us that many options for a temple dress. Let's be honest. It does have to fit a very certain style with certain restrictions and everything. So there's not a lot of options. So she's decided to do something about that. On her her website, it says that over the last six years, QNOR has grown from a small temple dress company to thriving American-made small batch fine women's wear line for women by women. The heart and soul of QNOR is providing women comfortable clothes that help them feel more confident in their lives. Our goal is to provide you with foundational wardrobe pieces designed to be just as dynamic and versatile as you are. When you support QNOR, you're supporting our entire community. So we're not here to advertise for her unless, you know, she wants to do that. But she she's just amazing, I think. And she has a strong connection in the Utah and LDS community. She's frequently on social media posting about her personal experiences, the religious books for sale within her company. She has some really good ones and just overall connecting with her community. Okay, so just I've been following her for an, around a year now, I think. She can be found at a variety of events like during Pride Month. Um, in June, she's ready to speak up and support others and elevate the voices of everyone around her. She recently just did like a whole thread of Instagram posts about amazing LDS women throughout the years. I think I knew the name of one woman. So she is serious about her research and learning and educating others and um, speaking and just sharing great stories. So I really loved that. So she's really well read. She's well versed in religion and more. She even called out a politician a few months ago and he 
like by not doing his job basically and he was like okay fine like you come and see what i have to do all day and she was like bet i'm there i'm i'll do it and so she did she went and i remember like reading watching her stories and she was like hey i'm getting up early i'm packing here's everything that's going down and so she shared a lot of insights um and set a really good example of getting involved in local politics and make our voices heard so she is just she's just doing a lot she recently married she's living her life with her husband and two dogs when you explore her social media you can see how hard she has worked to be successful as a single lds woman which can be difficult because that's not the way the church is kind of set up so she's just been doing a phenomenal job and it's not just her setting up a presence it's people who've interacted with her as well who who speak up for her and advocate for her as well. Um, she's also made some really silly TikToks as well. If you want to like bash on BYU some, check them out. But I have really appreciated her voice and seeing that there are more people, uh, more and successful women who are saying this can be done. Here's a step in this way. Here is how to do this. And here are these amazing resources for you to grow. I just think that Rosemary Card is spiritual, kind, and uplifting. I don't think she's written a book yet, but I'm kind of waiting for it now because she's just super great. I am pretty certain she's somewhere in her 30s, late 20s. I, I'm not, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It just matters that she has so many years to go to do amazing things. So I'm really excited and very hopeful. Yeah, so that's Rosemary Card. Very cool. So the next one we're going to talk about is... Honestly, I don't know why we haven't talked about this person yet on our podcast. I mean, I've been tempted many times, but honestly, I just didn't know anything. <laughs> I know two things. Yeah, I feel like we have briefly, but like not in this kind of a context. And in a way, I'm a little disappointed in us for that. But at the same time, like... I know. We just wanted to do justice. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't huge fans either, I don't feel like, but... Um, so we're going to be talking about David Archuleta now. I don't know why we didn't think about him sooner, but I f anyways. No, we did think about him. I wanted, I want to have him as a guest on our podcast. That is true. Day. That is one of my goals, Tracy. David, if you're listening, please talk to us. And bring Lance Bass with you on the episode. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so. Going off. David Archuleta is a musician who blew up in 2008 when he was a runner-up on American Idol. He also has a pretty cool story as well, so let's get into it. And I want to put out this disclaimer to any of our listeners out there who are like massive David Archuleta fans. Please do not send us death threats or anything similar for getting information wrong. We are literally just using Wikipedia in a prayer at this point. Like, I don't have David Archuleta facts in my brain. That is safe Honestly, for NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> David Archuleta was born in Miami, Florida, but grew up in Sandy, Utah, where he did musical theater, Utah talent competitions, and even made an appearance on Star Search in 2003. His real claim to fame, however, was his July 2007 audition for American Idol, where he sang Waiting on the World to Change by John Mayer. He was 16 years old at that time. Oh my gosh, a baby. I know, a child. I say this as someone who was 17 at that time. 
<laughs> right though. But to be brave enough to go on a show where you know you like there's a strong chance you'll get humiliated for any given reason. Yeah. And like being like, oh, that is very impressive. And he so got amazing. Randy Jackson to sing along with him, like which is oh, adorable. Yeah. Honestly, Precious. I didn't watch that season. I had given up on American Idol at that point. That was like, only like I season four, Tracy. No, it was season seven. Oh, really? Yeah. My family was still watching it, I think. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we did We did come into the show late. I think we only joined on, like, season three. So, yeah, I think, and that's, like, one of the last seasons we did watch. But I do I do remember parts of it, and we were just like, you need to keep making it. Um, I don't remember if it was because of his singing voice or because he was Mormon. You tend to vote for your home team kind of thing, of course. And then, honestly, like, I still, like, feel that he was cheated out of the finale for some reason. Um, I mean, he's got a good voice. Like, David Cook, who did win, has a good voice, too. I just, I, I don't know. I just, good voices, good singers. I don't know anything about music, so I can't, I, I can't say anything here. But it was a good season, but we decided that the show was rigged shortly after, so we stopped watching. Yeah. Well, I found in the Wikipedia article about David Archuleta, it even says that, like, David Cook thought that he lost American Idol after yes, the finale. I remember that. Because, mm-hmm. like, they, like, all of the judges asked each of them how they thought they did. And David Cook was like, I think the kid just took it. Like, the, he sang all three of his songs perfectly. Like, he, he just, he won. And then when David Cook was announced the winner... He was shocked. He could not believe that he won. He was like, that's not possible. Yeah. I mean, he's a good singer, but like no one understood why David Archuleta didn't win. David Archuleta only got 44% of the votes. Are you sure though? Anyways, so David Archuleta unfortunately did not win and the finale aired on May 21st, 2008. So that wasn't the end of his music career. It was really just the beginning. All three of the songs that he sang on the finale, made it to the Hot 100 charts. And shortly after, in June 2008, he signed with Jive Records and released his first album in August 2008, which is like such fast turnaround. Also, I need to point out that Jive Records is the first record company that NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys signed with in the late 1990s. So like all the boy bands started with Jive. That's just how it goes. Important knowledge for you. And thus began crush mania or at least what i call crush mania crush debuted at number two on the charts behind rihanna and then it sold 1.92 million copies that's crazy i i'm gonna be honest i did watch american idol yes but i didn't like try listening to him after i i i didn't like doing all the popular things so like i didn't i don't i can't i don't know what the crush song is right now I'd recognize it if I heard it. I'm sure, like 75% sure, but that's it. If I'm able to, I'll insert a little like clip of it right here in the post. No. Just a little snippet. Copyright included. Um, if it's like five seconds, it's okay. Everyone else was crushing on him and out <laughs> crushing on him. Um, <laughs> But I was like, you do your thing, I will do my thing. When that was my warped tour phase, also. Oh, yeah. So it would not have fit. Yeah. So it was just it it was very 
bubble gum pop yes. magnificence. I'm not gonna lie, I loved this song. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love this song. I, I'll trust you. I'll trust everyone. It's a good song. Sure. I just I don't know it. I just know when he would do TV appearances. That that's it. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna offend a lot of listeners. I was not a David Archuleta fan. I wasn't. I wasn't watching American Idol. I really couldn't care less at that point in time that there was a member of the church on American Idol. I really didn't care. I was graduating from high school, getting ready for college. Oh, dude, yeah, you're busy. And doing other things. (laughs) Couldn't be bothered. (laughs) Could not be bothered. I did like this song when it came out. Would sing along with it. But other than that, I just didn't really care that much. Kudos to him for making a career, though. We're proud of you for that. Good job, David. Well done. You deserve it. You deserve the good things. From 2009 to 2011, he went on multiple tours, was featured on TV shows like Hannah Montana, iCarly, and many others, and he released a memoir in 2010 titled Chords of Strength, a memoir of soul, song, and the power of perseverance. That feels like a long title, but I bet it's a good book. Yeah, insanely long title. Insanely long. So then, in 2011, he announced he wasn't going to go on another tour or start another album because he was going to go on a mission. So in March 2012, he entered the MTC to prepare to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Chile, Um, which a month later, in April 2012, at that conference, the missionary, the MTC missionary choir sang at General Conference, and he sang in it, and my friend sang in that concert as well. Uh-huh. My friend, shout out to Kara White Burton. Oh, cool. She sang in that choir as well. Oh, nice. So that makes me one degree of separation closer to David Archuleta <laughs> because she sang with him. So I know that. And then additionally, because of that connection, I am one degree of separation closer to Lance Bass and NSYNC and getting my dreams of having NSYNC. You are so close, Tracy. This, yeah. So. so david archuleta if you're listening like join our podcast one day be a guest and bring lance bass with you because we we need that to happen oh my goodness (laughs) yes all right so he serves a mission he goes to chile and then he returns home in 2014 which basically we came back at the same time from our missions which is crazy um He then was featured in a face-to-face event. He performed with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Um, He participated in multiple other musical performances and began working on more albums and going on more tours between 2017 and 2020, which, yeah, again, like, did not know that. I knew that there is one song that came out recently. I can't remember what it's called. And I found it on Instagram. And then I was like, that's David Archuleta. He's still alive? What? He's so, younger yeah, than you. <laughs> Tracy, <laughs> no. <laughs> and this is why he's probably never going to come on the podcast. Because no. he'll be like, you thought I was dead. And I'll be like, not really. Just if like, David Archuleta comes not. on, is willing to come on to our show... I will listen to all of his songs and rank them accordingly. I will do that for him. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Or at least I'll listen to Crush and like memorize it or something. I don't know. I'll do something. He'll literally be like, I 
I have so many better things to do with my life than have Kaylee rank my songs, but I sure will, I'll do it. I don't know. What else can I do? Bake him cookies? <laughs> Not remotely. Anyways. Um, well, if he's still in Sandy. He actually lives in Nashville, Tennessee now. Well, good for him. I'm definitely not there. But I'm fairly certain that that is also where Lance Bass is and where that Rod guy is that we follow on Instagram. Yes, Rod. They're all good guy, Rod. friends together. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Good for that. Anyways. Okay. So once again, aside from how cool his career yes, has been and the fact cool. that he took a break in the middle of his literal explosive yes. rise to fame to serve a mission. To be able to come back, that's incredible. Not many can do that. David Archuleta is also single and he's a member of the LGBTQ plus community and he's a vocal advocate for mental health awareness, all which are things that we need to see more of in the church from people in our age group. So earlier this year, David decided to come out publicly on his Instagram, and the articles that flooded the internet were wild right after. Um, You can check them out after you listen to this episode, but in one article, he shared, quote, I was literally outside doing my yard work, pulling weeds. I kind of went through a faith crisis for a month when I was in the process of breaking up with this girl I was in a relationship with, but I felt so disconnected from everything. My anxiety had gotten so bad, I was like, I don't even remember how it feels to be close to God or to even have feelings for anybody. I don't even know how I feel about myself right now. When I had that prayer, God just said, David, you know I trust you, right? I want you to post about what you're going through right now. And it was just so clear what I needed to say. I knew exactly what I needed to say, but I felt uncomfortable saying it because I like to keep myself especially with this kind of stuff, private. But I just knew that I had to, end quote. When he made that post, I I think I, 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 think I might have cried. I'm just, I will be honest with that. Because it was beautiful and his coming out was literally saying what I've been feeling for years. Like that explained, that just, it just put it into words in a way that I've been struggling to do. And it made me feel a little less alone. And it was, it was beautifully done. It was so important. And I was so appreciative of everything he had to say and what he's been saying since then. It's, it's been amazing. So since then, not only has he been more vocal about his struggles and his faith crises and not really understanding about his gender and sexual identities, um, but he's also been helping people to know that they're not alone in their struggles as well. Um, In that same article, he explained that the reason he is beginning to speak up now is because he just wants people to know that they're not alone. He said, I've had so many direct messages from people who are in the same situation. And so, hey, it's okay. Even if it's not clear how, I know I'm still figuring it out. You can make room for both, end quote. So, yes, there are rumors that he's not single. However, I qualify single as in... He doesn't have a signed piece of paper that says he's married, so he is still single. Like, being in a relationship does not, mm-mm, doesn't matter to me. Unless you have the signed piece of paper saying you're married, no, you're single. You are single to me. Um, but for now, we just, we, we will let him do his thing, and we wish him all the best. We absolutely love this journey that he's on, how he's continuing to figure things out, how he's been willing to take us like us, the general public, along for the ride. We just love his updates. And I love seeing how he's learning, growing, and becoming. I am personally very grateful to see someone in the church who is literally my age 
going through the exact same things that I'm going through at the same time and providing that representation and that platform that we desperately need at this time. He is our age. He's 30, about to be 31 if he's not already 31. He's a big public figure in the church and he is being real and honest about like these faith crises and all of these other struggles that he's going through. And so it just, it's so heartwarming to see that example because we need to have that example in the church. We don't just need to have it from the people that are in their like 50s and older. We need it from people our own age too. Yeah. He is along the very messy chaotic ride with us and we are very appreciative to have his company. So yeah, if David Archuleta ever listens to this, just know that we are very grateful for you. We would probably die if we met you, and I would die of embarrassment now that you know that I did not pay that much attention to you as I was growing up, but now I'm a huge stan, so thank you for that. All right, so we have one more awesome person that we want to share in our Human Lighthouse episode, and here is one person that I've been kind of trying to find a way to talk more about on this podcast as well, so... Boom! Perfect opportunity. I would like to bring up Carol Lynn Pearson. On her website, which is, I did have a link to it somewhere, which is carollynn-pearson.squarespace.com. She writes that she is a poet, author, playwright, screenwriter, performer, speaker, general freelance philosopher. She's born in Salt Lake City, has an MA in theater from Brigham Young University. She's got two bumper stickers over the years that are instructive saying, loving kindness is my religion and question authority. She says that life has pushed me onto unexpected paths and it all works out because then she quotes her poem Pioneers and saying, I face the plains on a good day for walking. The sun rises and the mist clears. I will be all right. My people were Mormon pioneers. Carolyn Pearson is awesome because she has inspired some other poets that I really enjoy in the LDS realm. So Carol Lynn Pearson always loved to read and write. In fourth grade, she even won an essay contest. Carol went on to BYU where she earned her MBA in theater. With that in hand, she taught for a year at Snow College and then traveled for a year while teaching part-time at BYU in the English department. After that, she was hired by the Motion Picture Studio on BYU campus to write educational and religious screenplays. During that time, she performed in BYU's uh, rendition of The Skin of Our Teeth, where she met and fell in love with Gerald Pearson. The two of them were married, and he loved her passion for poetry. He knew it was so good. And so after they married, he they moved up to Salt Lake City to try and get her works published. But no one would for because for some dumb reason, poetry doesn't really sell. But her husband insisted and said that he would get them published. So they borrowed $2,000 to create Trilogy Arts. So under that name, they published 2,000 copies of her book titled Beginnings. And so that's a white-covered book with an illustration by their friend Trevor Southey, who has since become very well-known, um, titled God in Embryo. I could not find that online, but she says she still has copies. So I will continue looking because I want a copy of that. And I did want to share what she references. Uh, She references her poem, Beginnings. And I want to read the last two stanzas where it says, Oh, but there's so much more. You and I, child, have just begun. Think, worlds from now, what might we be? We who are seed of deity. 
She's got some really, really beautiful material. So once she had 2,000 copies of her book, they were trying to get them sold. They convinced Deseret to take 20 of her books um, on consignment, which meant they, there were no guarantees of pay or anything. They didn't know if that would sell. They they had to convince them to take 20 and not any less. And the very next day, Deseret was calling her asking for more because they'd all sold out. So Carol has continued to write many books of poetry that are well-known and widespread. She's inspired many other LDS poets, as I mentioned, especially with her works on Heavenly Mother. So I even have one of her books, which is called Finding Mother God, Poems to Heal the World. So she's she's really well-known for her writings, and she's helped inspire a lot of material for Heavenly Mother, which is a topic that I am very much invested in at this point in my life and I'm constantly looking for more material and looking to learn more and I absolutely love her work but this isn't the only reason why I want to include her story she's been public about her private life as well beyond her her work so I'm just going to use her own words from her own website she said another characteristic of my husband was to have a profound effect on both my career and my life Soon after our engagement, he informed me that homosexual feelings and behavior had been part of his past, but he desperately wanted to do things the right way. He loved me and wanted a family. I loved him and knew we could make it work. All that was needed was his repentance and my love. We gave each other the best we had. But after 12 years of marriage and four children, it was evident we were in an impossible situation. We divorced in 1978, remained friends. I'm going to get emotional. Um... And six years later, I sang to him as he lay on my couch, dying of AIDS. It never occurred to me that I would tell that tragic story, but seeing that I was in a position to shed light on a very misunderstood subject, I wrote Goodbye, I Love You, published in 1986 by Ransom House. So she has continued to speak up, not just for Heavenly Mother, but for the LGBTQ plus community. From what I have learned about her, I feel like she has a very big heart. Carolyn Pearson is still around and still writes plays and poetry today. She's just incredible, and she says that she was born into women's issues and married into gay issues. Her commitment is to help make church and society safe for our LGBT sisters and brothers and to assist in transforming patriarchy into partnership. So she was married. She is single now. And she has lived an incredible life and continues to share everything that she has learned and experienced in her works. And I wanted to be able to share her story because it is beautiful, it is painful, and something that we can take with us throughout our days. That is a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that about her. My pleasure. So yeah, those are our five human lighthouses for this, our part two well, I guess it's technically the first first Human Lighthouses episode we've done, but it's part two, the continuation of our Lighthouse discussion from 2019. I want to differentiate this between our famous Mormons episodes. Oh, good point. Yes. Not the same thing. Yeah, they're different. Like, famous Mormons, we just pull a random person out of nowhere and say, hey, did you know this person was Mormon? Surprise! Whereas, like, these people, the human lighthouses that we've chosen are people that we feel really are a great example for us and a good like beacon of hope for single people in the church. Yes, we have so many examples of like good, strong members of the church out there. Yeah, that's cool. That's fine. I don't really care about that. I care about sharing the stories of 
members of the church who are currently single or who were single for a very long time and sharing their incredible stories of faith, of figuring out life, of going on a journey and an experience and not letting being single basically dictate how or whether or not they live their life to the fullest. Right. These people are living very purposeful and meaningful lives, particularly noted in their singlehood um, at one point or another. And we want to be able to learn from them, to emulate them to a certain sense so that we can be doing the same thing ourselves, to be finding our lighthouse, the life that we want to and believe that we were meant to lead. And by looking at these people who are human lighthouses in their own way, are setting examples of what we can become of living those purposeful lives, whether or not we are single or married or whatever our relationship status may be. Yeah. So we wanted to do that and distinguish the difference between those two different types of episodes that we do, because we feel like there's so much that we could be learning from these people that live these intentional and purpose-driven lives as single adults and apply those principles to our own lives as single adults as well. And, you know, if you are not a single person and you're listening to this episode, still be purposeful, still be driven, find your own purpose beyond just being a married person, because there's more to life than just going to the temple and getting sealed. There is so much more. Right. Relationships are not meant to define us. They're meant to help improve us and just be another part of our lives. I, I don't mean to like make that sound so like basic and oh like a parasite kind of thing. <laughs> but <laughs> we focus so much on building up our families and having marriage within the church these days that it's hard to sometimes detach ourselves from our relationship status, whether we are married or not. And so we want to be able to highlight saying we can still be enough. We are still more than enough when we are on our own, we can do all the things and we need that to be highlighted. We need to be able to see that and know that we're not alone. Just a quick reminder before we close that our podcast, Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward, is officially now members of the Dialogue Podcast Network. You can learn more about our podcast at potatoesward.com and on dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. While on the Dialogue Journal Podcast Network site, you can find other amazing and like-minded podcasts. You'll always get ad-free episodes and bonus content there as well. Just check out dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network to learn more. Yes, we hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a something or learned a thing or two. And we hope that you continue to live your life as meaningfully and purposefully as you can. Thank you guys for joining us and we hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.